Bootstrapped Web. We're back. Jordan, how you doing, buddy? I'm back. This is it. No more travel for the summer. My, my last trip. I'm very excited yes. to be home. Nice, nice. Yeah, we're wrapping up the summer. Actually, yesterday I took a day off and uh, the kids and, and Amy, we took, hopped on the train, went to uh, New York City and we were tourists for a day. Nice that's fun. A couple times a year over there. Um, that's that, that's good for you. Well, I just yeah. got back from Hawaii. And that, that was a big trip. Incredible. And we got caught up a little bit in the LA like tropical storm flight situation. So we were, quote, stuck there for another few days, which was not a bad thing. But it did mean that we left Hawaii, arrived Wednesday at 6 a.m., landed at O'Hare at 6 a.m., and got the kids to their first day of school at 8.30 a.m. that morning. So it's been, been, yeah, it's been a messy two days, uh, but it's Friday afternoon, back at work, really excited to not be traveling anymore uh, yeah. over the summer. And it feels like this, this, that same thing is happening between myself and rock and Jess, you know, the three of us, we're a little older. We all have kids. We have like these, you know, mid stage adult responsibilities. And that usually goes with some obligatory travel over the summer that we're oh, yeah. just not going to say no to. So the three of us have been moving around a lot over the last month. And now we're all coming back together and everyone's like, pumped up and just focused to go between now and black friday cyber monday like that's our it's our time to just make this huge push before things start to chill out for the holidays that um same exact thing here my kids start on this coming monday so so this week is like their final week of the summer and they'd already finished camp so we brought them into the city yesterday is like something to get them off their ipads for at least a day yes Um, and by this time i'm sure you and your wife are like get these kids out of the freaking house already yeah they I got mean, everyone real <laughs> yep <laughs> but, but the um but you know like something about like the kids uh summer mentality definitely bleeds over to me because i feel like like my summer of activities and travel and stuff is is just wrapping up and now now we get serious for the rest of the year and mm-hmm. yeah i mean I'm, I'm home for the rest of the year except for um cabo press in october but that's the only okay. trip and then I'll do big snows in like January and February. So, but like between now and the rest of this year, other than that one week off, like I'm, I'm pushing, you know, a lot of, lot well, of stuff I want to get going here. We have a trip to an e-commerce expo in London and that's in late September. Mm-hmm. So a few of us are going to go over there make, you know, like a leadership meeting at the same time while we're all there. So that's one big travel. And I think there's something else. So we'll, we go to DC this year for the holidays, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I got something on the books with my brothers and my dad for Europe in January, but like it, it feels really nice to just not have a ton of travel. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Now, I don't know about you, for us, the, the time of year is having a really big impact on our business because when we're in conversations right now with merchants, it is the, the timing and can we get it done before their code freeze going into the holiday shopping that is very relevant in the conversation so it's either we're just taking a look as we think through things over the next few months make decisions in q4 and q1 or we're taking a look we want it this year can you get it done before the code freeze Mm -hmm. these are our requirements so that that is animating our our world right now you know i historically have never cared at all about like seasonality in my business. Um, and, and I feel the same way about, uh, economic turns 
You know, like right, right. The economy might be good or bad. It might be summer. It might be Christmas. Like I don't care. Like yes, that stuff might make some impact on my business, but I feel like it's Not out enough. of my control, and I don't care to even do anything about it. Um, uh, because there's really nothing to do about it, really. Um, that being said, I could, I am starting to notice what I think will turn out to be like a natural summer seasonality with clarity flow. Like, um, it's not cute, not major, not, not significant. Um, but I think we'll probably be like, we'll probably see some of the typical summer downturn that most SaaS see. Cause I, I definitely see it with customers. Like, I mean, we were literally a little bit slower in the summer and now I see it starting to kick up a little bit as, as we look into fall, I, I'm hearing from a lot of coaches saying like, yeah, I'm, I'm planning to start my program up in September or I have a new cohort starting in the fall. You know, I'm hearing things like that, that I'm also seeing. Um, okay, so it is more cyclical or seasonal for them now. Yeah, and I, I also see like some customers who churned several months ago, like now now is the time they come back. Like, oh, like, like turns out uh, we do need it for this thing or it turns out we tried these other options and right now in this time of year, like I think Clarity Flow makes sense again. I'm, I'm seeing some of that happen. I mean, it, it okay. It also coincides with like we're shipping a ton of features, so they're getting they're they're hearing about like all these changes good, good. in the product. So, yeah, yeah, okay, right. So it's uh, uh, it's not impacting like how you're working, but it is it is having some impact on business and interest and timing and uh, yeah. urgency. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Um, it's interesting. Yeah, what else, uh, man? I mean, I know we're always talking about sales, but I th- I feel like that's mm-hmm. still that's that's much more relevant for me and you right now. Um, literally the call right before this one was a sales demo. The one right after this is a sales demo. Um, this week, one of the things that I finally shipped, uh, I feel like everything is shipping later than I would like, but I spent, I, I did a, a couple of uh, sales and marketing projects. One of them was to fire up um, some, some like cold outreach stuff, uh, kind of getting the infrastructure set up to be doing that. The other thing was to finally put like a legit request a demo flow in place on the website. So the change there is like before it was kind of hidden in the footer, request a demo just links to our normal contact page. Now, now you'll see all throughout the website from the hero section to the top nav, the calls to action. There is still like you can sign up for a free trial, and then right next to it is you can request a demo. You click that. Okay. You get. Uh, to, I'm on your site now. Yeah. So request so you see, a demo is now a secondary CTA in yes. uh, in a lot more places. Yes, and that now leads to a multi-step form. And you know, I I shared the the full details of this in my in my build-in public update on on Twitter. The, okay. The, I did cool. a whole video on like how I wired all this up and, because. I've done this now in like almost all my previous businesses and I just set up a similar flow now. And what I'll, I'll try to give a, a quick rundown, but it's yeah, like, it's annoyingly complicated. <laughs> it, oh, it, it, complicated. it really is. I'm not going to get into all of it here. If you right, want right. the code and, and everything, I shared it on that video, but the, in concept, the idea that I like to do is the front end of that form needs to be super minimal. Like capture the email address is the goal, mm-hmm. right? So step one, all I ask for is name and email address. Two fields. Yep. That gets them onto my list in, in customer IO. So now I can follow up if I need to, if they, if they, if they abandon, like, okay. And then that brings them to step two. And that's where I really want to capture more information. It's like a small survey. I'm asking questions 
not, not, I mean, survey is the wrong word. It's really like four or five questions. Just like, uh, I think I, I asked like, what do you do? Um, what are your questions about clarity flow? How did you hear about clarity flow? Um, what's your team size, that kind of stuff. Um, in the background, invisible to the user, we, we do track like, where did, where did they come from? Like what, who, which sites referred them? Did they come from a Google ad? Did they come from, you know, which source, which medium, all that stuff gets captured and stored in all of our systems from Stripe to chart mogul, to mix panel, to the notifications that I get. I, I see where every customer came from. Um, which was a whole technical thing to wire up. And then, and then the third step is schedule the actual demo. We're using Savvy Cal for that. I embedded that on the site. We, we fire, we, we, all, all these steps, like step one, two, three, mm -hmm. all these fire into customer IO. So I'm getting all that data in customer IO so that I can segment emails. Like, mm -hmm. did they, did they request, but they didn't book the demo? Did they book the demo, but they didn't become a customer? You know, I can, track all that right so if they want they can go all the way through to actually scheduling on your calendar directly on the site yep yeah so i put that whole flow live i think three days ago two or three days ago and already had like six demo requests just in that okay in that time, which is okay. like definitely a lot more than usual like you you know i would get like maybe one or two in a week just hitting our contact form asking for a demo now i've had like six in like three days so the the flow is like now that I'm just making it more prominent, it's it's there, you know. Okay, I I think that's interesting, and you should pay attention to the volume there. Um, mm -hmm. Six in just a few days, multiply that by you know a few times in a, in a month. All of a sudden, that starts to get more oh, significant. Yeah. And what I'm curious about is, does that self segment into people who are more interested? Are they more likely to stick around? Are they more likely to ask you questions instead of giving up before buying? Like all those things on basically does it make it more likely that they sign up and does it make it more likely that they sign up for higher tiers it all remains to be seen yeah mm -hmm. um good questions that i'm trying to figure out i've i've done a couple of those demos like because i've been doing demos but this these are the first few that have like come through this new flow um we're also running some ads right now and and we're get and and these are coming from different sources um so that's a question of like comparing leads from different sources, what, what they're all about. Um, in general, like all the demos that I ever do, um, they all seem really, really impressed and excited about using the product, especially more so now that we, we've shipped a lot of stuff re recently, including um, mm -hmm. programs, which is like, you can run your courses now on Clarity Flow. Okay. We've shipped spaces, so now you can run your community or your group coaching groups on clarity flow um we did custom branding custom domains so these are all like key features to, to running your whole coaching program the the only remaining big piece that's coming probably in a month is is payments yeah but putting payments aside like we still have a almost like fully complete product now so that when i talk about it on the demo which really I'm not even showing much of it. It's mostly like me asking about their business and their use cases. Mm -hmm. um, and then, so in most of these cases, they're really excited. The, it's still an open question. And I think a gap in our funnel is the, is the, from going from the, a successful demo to um, 
okay, they, yeah. they will sign up, but like, will they get activated? Will they fully adopt it? Um, our onboarding and guidance there is very much lacking and a little bit um, confusing. Uh, so there's a lot that we should do on like the, um, like the self-serve uh, onboarding, but I also want to do more eventually with like done with you, like maybe get into some flow where like, all right, we do the demo. Now let's schedule like a follow-up call to mm-hmm. make sure that you're all set up like a week from now. I, I'm not really doing yeah. that second step right now. Yeah. So it's like the customer success next. element, the transition between sales and onboarding. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, very, the other thing that cool. I want to start doing that I haven't done yet is like, cause we get a lot of just regular signups who don't go through a demo and some portion of them convert. Uh, but I, I feel like I should be promoting a demo to, to them too. Like, okay, you just signed up and just so you know, like if you want to walk through book, a book, a call, let's, you know, yeah. let's make sure yeah. you're set. That up. might separate out the people who came in through a trial or some type of a lower level hurdle, uh, but would go up to the demo if offered directly. Yeah. yeah all, like all almost like, stuff. like, as like, in, instead of just like getting confused and turned off and you just walk away, maybe before you That's do right. that, at, at least book a call, you know? Yeah. So what, what you just said, uh, made me think of two things. W- one, uh, I like to pay attention. I'm, I'm proud that our product like yours, it demos well, mm-hmm. it, it shows well and it impresses. I, I used to rely on that. And think that that was almost enough because it used to be enough. You know, it used to be when we talked to SMBs, card hook, these other types of uh, contexts, that demo being impressive was enough to say, all right, I'll try it. Right now we've moved toward, okay, that's one small part of a more complex sales process. Yeah. So, so what we've done lately as we, get better at the sales process we've rearranged our crm steps to more accurately mimic the actual steps of the sales process from the customer's point of view like how are they thinking and experiencing the sales process instead of the stages that we want them to go through and now we have more volume in the pipeline and we have a nice consistent thank you drake uh, the rsdr that does such a great job that keeps filling the pipeline every week and so now that we have more, we can now look at the CRM and see where people are getting stuck. Nice. And it is yeah. not the demo. The demo shows well, great. Then it moves on, then technical discovery, and that's good. And right now where we're starting to like really identify the the snag is in the final bit of like scoping. Like, do do they fully know what they're getting into? Do they have the resources ready for it? How long it's gonna take, what details. Mm-hmm what we need to build still if they come on board like that like back and forth is where we're starting to get caught up so it's not yeah. just like hey we lobbed over a proposal with a price like that's one stage but really it's like right before that like do we okay we have the price we have the proposal but do, do both sides fully understand what's about to happen if they say yes mm-hmm. and that yeah yeah, yeah totally I, I mean um i feel like you're in terms of like your product, like get a customer getting activated. So they make it through all the sales, uh, mm-hmm. all, the, all the sales calls, all the, all the decisions. They're ready to like actually get going. Do you see like a clear sequence of steps that need to be taken like in order? Like, okay, first we're gonna connect to the shopping cart. Second, we're going to set up these 
the the checkout page. Third, we're gonna do these offers, and then fourth, like put it live. Like it always follows that roadmap. Or, or is there any like variance in like one customer might do it this way, another customer might need it that way? There, there's a lot of variance. There are a few steps that are required and so have to happen, <laughs> like you know, creating an account, that type of thing. Um, but there's a lot of variance, and we're 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 getting some mixed feedback that we're trying to figure out if we need to change or not. Right now, when we so our typical deal, our typical process is a lot of information sharing, and then it's signed the dotted line. So it's signed for an annual contract, and then they create an account. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the technical onboarding and activation is on the other side of the contract agreement, which is new yeah. for me, right? That's like, huh? I didn't think so people- So then it's like, yeah, I see in that situation, it's like they've already agreed and- and like paid yes. and have like a contract. So there, whatever steps are required, they'll eventually make it work between their team and your team get it, getting up and launched. Right? Yes, like, but just because they sign does not mean they're immediately going to take all the action that you want them to take because very often yeah. it's one set of people doing the signing and then another set of people doing the implementation. Yeah. And we have a very high interest. Like our first contracts did not have in place a time limit within which they need to get launched or they start paying either way. Mm. So we were like, uh-oh, we got a contract, but they're not actually going to pay until they go live. And they're not being as responsive as we want them to be. And so we we haven't actually you know been able to book it until until they launch. So we, we, we did end up launching that customer that I have in mind, but it was a, a more stressful experience than it should have been. And now contracts that we've signed, we paid attention to. And now contracts that we're sending out is like, Look, if you're not responsive and you don't you don't launch within 60 days of the effective date of the contract, you're going to start to pay. Yeah, I, and I that, dealt with a bunch of that with with, uh, with audience ops because we had like a whole onboarding process. Yeah. It took a good month before that we're even able to start publishing content, and and then we pushed out the first payment to like five weeks in instead of four weeks, so that mm-hmm. we have a little bit of buffer. But yeah, yes. So th- um, those are like these little like nicks, these little cuts that we're uh, reacting to. Oh, that hurt. Let's not make that mistake again. Yeah. Yeah. But I like in my onboarding for Clarity Flow, I still need to fully learn and figure out, you know, because the the new product, all the new features that we have, um, you can use Clarity Flow because like, okay, coaches use it for multiple aspects of their coaching offerings and their coaching okay. offerings usually include a combination of one-to-one communication with clients uh a self or, or a um like a a client community or coaching groups you know inviting them to what we call spaces uh and then courses and what we call programs in clarity flow so you can build and deploy a course and, and enroll clients in it um those are like the three big aspects of what you can do with Clarity Flow. And I still have an open question of like, well, which of those do they build and implement first, right? Because currently it we're still basically using the flow that we have we've had since zip message, which is you sign up, you get dropped into your first conversation, and we give you a little pointer on how to record your first message and then send it off to someone. Which okay, so you're you're building the feature set that the coach wants to offer to their customers based on which tier 
their customer is yeah, jumping like, on. Like today, it's still like we just drop them into like, yeah, just record a message and then send it to someone. Well, like now that we're clarity flow, that doesn't fully make a lot of sense. They need, a, it needs to be much slower. It needs to be more planned out. They need to, in many cases, one of their first actions, I think, is to start to build what we call your library in Clarity Flow. So like a whole collection of pre-recorded content, you know, or they're migrating content in from somewhere. Um, and and then they, they usually need to like test that a whole lot, usually like inviting like a test client and seeing what that whole flow looks like before they're comfortable enough to actually invite clients. So like, it used to be like when we were a zip message and trying to be sort of like a loom competitor, like let's get them as fast as possible to recording and, and sharing it with someone. Mm -hmm. Right. Then, Lighter weight, faster. Yeah. So now I, and I think this is really where more of like a done with you consultation will, will make sense because like a lot of clients have a course to deploy. Some, some of them don't, you know, some of them just want to use it for, for coaching or just for group cohorts, you know, um, others, Others want to start there and then maybe build their, their course in later. So it's like, I, I got to figure out like what the right sequence to get them to not only seeing the value, because I think that they see the value just from the demo call and, and from seeing and like signing up and, and planning to use it. And, you know, they, they're comparing us against other tools and they usually decide like this checks all the boxes of what they ultimately want to do. But I, I think the open questions for me right now are like, how do we get them from there to like fully deployed to their client base? You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The normally when I would hear something like that, I would be worried about the amount of effort and money spent on that sales and onboarding process and how uh, you have to charge a lot to make that work. But the, the hack of bootstrapping and keeping your expenses in check is that you can make that work. Yeah. Like and, and the I, outside I do, people and investors oh, look at that and say, oh, that that can't work because you have to do it so many times that you, and you have to put so much effort that you have to charge so much and the market can't bear it. And there is a needle to thread there. There is a spot where actually, no, I can do that for 100 people and yeah. then get my business to you know, 15, 20, 30K a month. And now I'm sustainable. The way I see it, playing out I, I don't know exactly if it will go this way but i'm thinking about it in two tracks like built like continuing to build out two onboarding tracks for customers one is fully self-serve um, maybe they do a quick demo call or maybe not maybe they just like watch videos on the site and then they sign up um the self-serve track is like we have really good guidance and flows within the app uh, maybe even making it like dynamic. So like step one is like, what do you want to do first? Courses, community, or mm -hmm. clients? And then they click one and then we guide them down that path, right? That's that's one like self-serve approach. The other is like a done with you. Okay, let's book a second call, maybe even a third call where me or someone on my team is like consulting with you to strategize and plan out your coaching business and let's implement your and launch this for you and with you. I I would expect that like eventually that'll be like a paid onboarding service, like pay an extra, I don't know, 500, a thousand bucks, something like that to like get this like month long consulting and you're invested, we're invested in you. Let's, you know, so like, I think that we should do both of those tracks. Um, and that, yeah, a lot of pieces need to be put in place for both of them.
but that's yeah. But uh, you're, you're heading the right direction. The, the yeah. just just having conversations. We we have been um, we strive to have some type of an implementation fee, and mostly just for the focus and the uh, motivation of their team getting onboarded and going through the activation that I talked about. Mm-hmm. It's it's been interesting to work with this go to market consultant. Uh, around pricing and packaging. So that is, that's improving. We basically have new pricing. And one of the advantages of not having your pricing be public is that you could just change it and you can just experiment. And the next demo- What's the new, how does the new pricing work or what can you share? So, so, okay, this is, this is pretty interesting actually, because it, it challenged a lot of my assumptions. Um, and made me like admit that I had to change my mentality. So going into rally, coming out of Cardhook, my mindset has always linked GMV process, the amount of revenue that our checkout processes in total. It has linked that to revenue because we take we have a take rate, mm-hmm. right? We 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 have a percentage, and then it turns into an average percentage. Right, the really big merchants pay less, and the smaller merchants pay higher percentage, and then there's an average. And so, when we were at Cardhook, when we got to a billion in GMV run rate, like processing eighty million dollars a month, we were at six million ARR. So, Cardhook monetized GMV at an average rate of sixty basis points. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and that. I took that mentality that at scale, it's really a GMV business. It's how much money can you push through the checkout? Yeah. It's not about and the, the, like the fee. It, it's just the- that, that's right. It's like the fees kind of even out or, or that, that averages out. And then you're really just focused on GMV and let's just get more GMV in the door and bigger merge, all this other stuff that has changed. Uh, we, there is now a, those two are disconnecting. GMV and our revenue are no longer linked in that same way because we're working with larger, uh, fewer larger merchants, and those merchants want to pay a SaaS fee on an annual basis, and it is still yeah, so related. They, they don't want it to be like tied to revenue. So, so it is tied to revenue. That's the thing. It, but it's less. Tied. But the fee it's is different. Direct. It's, yes. it's like different tiers. Like you're you're in the fifty to a million tier, and you're in the you know. Yes. So so once we understood that that was happening, we then had to relook at it from the customer's point of view. On are we pricing right for them and for us? Mm-hmm. And and what we what we realized is that we were looking at it. We looked at our feature set. And we thought of our feature set as all of these features contribute to processing more GMV. Therefore, we shouldn't separate those features out into tiers. We should just give all the features to everyone because that promotes more GMV and we're a GMV-based business. All of a sudden, when you realize, oh, you're not that directly connected to GMV, now what we were doing, we were hurting ourselves and the customer by lumping everything in and charging one price. What we were really doing is we were charging for everything and not everyone wants everything. Mm-hmm. So we started to separate out into yeah. a rally core, like 
here's just the checkout if that's what you care about. And then at the same time, then then you start to tear it out between here's Rally Core and here's Rally with the marketing features, with the post-purchase offers and checkout links and order bumps. And, and really what that created was a scenario where everybody won because the merchant was able to identify, you know what? I'm interested in the post-purchase offers, but that's not where I want to start. Don't make me pay for that right now. Let me start off at your core offering and pay less and feel like it's my choice and I'm getting what I'm paying for. I'm not overpaying for things that I don't want. So they were happy. Yeah. And at the same time, it allowed us to start the relationship at a lower price point and then work with our success function over the first 12 months to get them upsold when they were ready. Once we had a chance to show them the feature set and when they were ready to take it on, that's when they would sign up and that's when we go up a tier and the revenue and right the net revenue retention would be great. And so all yeah, these and things. What, well, and like what you're describing, like sounds like a pretty like complicated and complex pricing structure, right? If you think about like the, the SaaS that show all that on the front end, but you have the advantage of it's not shown on the front end. So for each individual prospect and client, you can present the pricing probably still in a pretty simple way because you only need to show them the things that you've discovered are important to that client, right? Like, and you can you can sell them on the other stuff later priced differently, right? So it's like, and and this is a challenge that I have right now with like figuring out the different tiers, but like what what you're talking about sound it sounds to me like something like um like like intercom or like Salesforce. Like if you look at these pricing pages, it's like, oh my God, it's like so insanely complex. How do you how do you calculate which tier is for me? It's it's just insane. But yeah, you need more you, info. But, but I feel like once you put it all behind the sales process and not visible on the on the public pricing page, that's that's like where you gain all the freedom to have yes. a little bit more complexity because you can custom tailor it for each client. You know. Yes. Now, now we we don't have a pricing page. Yeah. But exactly. but now now but now we can which is such a funny thing. It's like removing the pricing page, doing everything behind closed doors, in demos, in individualized sales process, allowed us to learn the right way to package. And now we can publish a pricing page that shows the tiers, Rally Core, all the checkout features, Rally Design that allows all the checkout features, but your team gets full flexibility and can build with our elements, all this other stuff. And then Rally Marketing with the marketing features. And so you don't know what the exact price is, but you understand how we package it up. I was going to ask, then like, are, are you, you showing numbers? And then it's like, contact us or like, you just don't numbers? show, you don't show numbers, but you show what the, you show the logic of the pricing point of view. Here are the types of packages. You have a lot of choice on how and what parts of the product you want. And then in the individualized sales process, you start to learn, okay, Based on which tier you fall into in revenue, let's say you do $10 million a year or $60 million a year, the GMV multiplier, like the basis points will be different, For but you can still then decide what's right for you. You want to start with core, you want to upgrade anytime, you want to just jump right to marketing because you know you want everything. Yeah. But the, 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 the funny thing is that we're discounting. Everyone's discounting. You have to discount these days. You have a list price and you have a discount and you have to show the discount. It's like, it's almost why wouldn't you? You kind of have no choice. That's what everyone's doing. Mm -hmm. 
Now, if you take the full price of Rally Everything with all the features, with all the marketing, with absolutely everything, and then you discount that and you make an offer, it's actually lower than if you gave a much lower price with Rally Core and then upsold them over the first year. So it it actually optimizes for revenue by creating a lower priced tier and allowing people to choose that because that's right for them mm-hmm. because they don't want all of your features. They're not ready for all your features. Yeah. So it's really interesting exercise overall. And then the the fun part was being able to say, well, all right, well, next week's proposals, like <laughs> let's show this and, and see what the reaction is. And all of a sudden it just gets adopted in. I like that. Cause it's like, it's not just about like lowering the price to get them to a budget that fits their, their budget. It's, it's also about simplifying the product to help them make the buying decision that like, you know, Rally does offer us a, pro- it's not more than what we actually need. They actually offer us a product that is made for us at this level. And, and then once they raise their hand for, oh, we need the marketing stuff. Like that's, that's another sales conversation for down the road, you know? Yeah. It's been, you know, we have uh, some trepidation around sales and enterprise sales and that version of the, of, of selling overall from our experience. And a, a lot of our DNA is like, we're a little uh, weary of salespeople and traditional sales. And so we've always struggled, how do we inject our authentic culture and how we want to treat customers and be known for that into it? And it's it's been great to be able to do that while keeping the business goals in mind. This pricing version is one thing, and then how we present the timeline is another. So when we get to a proposal and we're, we're, we have the call, we're, we're revealing the pricing, these like three tiers and the numbers, like for you, this is how much it would cost. The very next slide is our proposed like timeframe. And what we show is the amount of things that we will do before they have to actually sign. So we're what we're projecting is we're not going to charge you for things that you're not using. It's your choice and your control which version of the product you want to use and how much you want to pay. And our goal is that by the time you need to sign the contract, you know the team, know the product, and have confidence enough to feel great about your decision. Yeah. And we've gotten multiple comments on like, that's how people should sell software. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's exactly how it's going to look six months from today, but it feels like we've gone into a place that feels authentic for our personality and our culture, and also is smarter in packaging our, our, our product and, and the eventual pricing yeah. and keeping in mind the reality right now of our situation is that ARR and revenue are not the same thing. At right. Carthook, I didn't care because revenue was cash flow and cash flow is profitability and profitability was what we were after. Here, we need to show ARR and you do not get credit for certain things. The amount of revenue you get from the payment processor kickback doesn't count as ARR. The amount of money you can charge for implementation and services doesn't count for ARR, right? So all these things to optimize toward ARR are, you know, part of our new version of reality. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't think that we're on the final destination of what our pricing yet is going to be. Um, I think we're at a good point compared to what we were. Like we we raised the prices a few months ago uh, to better match what the new product features offer. Mm-hmm. Um. But I'm I'm still figuring out. I think it's still like I haven't found 
I don't know if we need to find, but I haven't found the single value metric yet. Um, okay. You, you know, because again, like there, there's courses, what we call programs. So you can, so each tier has a, up to a number of programs. And then there's also up to a number of enrollments in your programs in each tier. And then we have spaces. So number of spaces, but also a, a limit on how many members you can have in spaces, depending on which tier you're in. Um, and then we have like access to features like payments is going to be on the standard plan and up. And, and so I'm still trying to figure that out because it's like there, we do have people who use all of the, Oh, and like uh, the number of templates that you can store in your library, that's different on each tier. So like okay. th- what's difficult about it for me right now is, is understanding like, it's not as simple as just saying like, okay, well, let's just base it off of like number of members in a space because all coaches mm-hmm. are doing groups and, but like some of them have like really small high value spaces with like, just like 10 members. Um, others have like hundreds, but they're paying a lot less or same thing with like the number of templates in their library. Like maybe they're not even using spaces, but they do have 200 different templates that they want to store in their library. All of a sudden that bumps them up into the, into our top most tier. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, but, but they're more on the lower end of the revenue and client base scale, but they still have a lot of content to, to store. So it's like, I'm still trying to figure out like Ricky. how to handle all that stuff. And, and so right. far and, and it's, it's like, not seats. it's not seats. It's not like, no, it's not seats. Because, and we do a bit of per user pricing, but that's not significant for us because right. we have a lot of, um, solo coaches we have a lot of like a coach plus an assistant and an administrator or maybe a small coaching team with like three to five coaches on the team like yeah they do pay for those team members but in the in this space it's much more about like number of clients number of content number of members in the spaces number of course enrollments that you're doing but and even though like the the way they might opt like the those products and courses communities coaching is pretty similar across the customers they charge very very different amounts they're in very different um industries so like you know what is considered a quote-unquote big customer versus a little customer doesn't necessarily reflect in like the number of objects in the database that they occupy you know Um, Mm -hmm. so i'm trying to figure out like how to how to handle all that so far it's like it's it's like most people on on your average usage you're going to start in our middle tier if if you want most all of the features with with like a healthy amount of of limit available to you if you really just want unlimited everything you're going to the top tier and then even that is there's a few things that have limits and for those I'm offering like some like invisible add-on subscriptions that you can upgrade to but mm-hmm. um that's that's version i guess it's like version two of the pricing we'll we'll see what version three looks like at some point <laughs> true uh on on my side the thing i'm currently focused on on a day-to-day basis is we have ha- had difficulty finding a great account executive so uh, a salesperson to basically fill the gap in the process that i'm currently in and and sam is you know he and i are kind of going half half on it um We've been looking for about four weeks. We found great people, fantastic people, but not quite right for the first hire and now. 
mm-hmm. right? So the person needs to be super fluent in e-commerce and be an individual contributor in terms of like just jumping in and selling. And uh, it's just been, it's been difficult to find, you know, mm-hmm. we, there's an issue in the e-commerce space when you're looking for people to hire anyone who's been in the Shopify ecosystem for too long uh, is going to be shocked by how different it is outside of Shopify. Well, one of the key elements is it's a much simpler sales process with Shopify merchants. And one of the reasons it's less complex is because there's basically no tech team involved in, in the decision-making. It's just really the marketing team and the tech team is always or almost always subservient to the marketing team on for a Shopify brand, right? That's why they're on Shopify because they don't want to do tech. Mm-hmm. And outside of it, you have to you have to convince the tech team just as much as the marketing team. And so we've we've talked to people who have been great, but they're used to doing you know thirty deals a month for the app for an app that is being sold to Shopify merchants. And you can do that with Shopify merchants because they kind of say yes or no pretty quickly. And it's not that complex. Hmm. In our universe, if you sign one good deal a month, you're you're a hero. And so there's there's a mismatch. So let me ask you this, Hmm. some some, some live advice giving here. I don't know if I'm the best on enterprise sales. I mean, it's it's conceptual, (laughs) right? So my battle is do we look for a pure individual contributor, someone who is just a salesperson and has done well at other companies and has been early stage enough to not lose their mind without all this infrastructure that they might be used to? And all the person does is create opportunities, close deals. Or the other version of it is someone who will eventually be a leader and hire other salespeople underneath them once they figure out the process. And they're jumping into the individual contributor role for six months, nine months. But then the goal is definitely to, okay, I got it. I know how to sell this thing. Now let's go hire two more AEs and I'll show them how it's done. Um, all right. I have a couple of like gut reactions to that. Yeah. Okay. I want you and all the listeners to take this with a massive grain of salt. Yeah, whatever. You know, oh, yeah. A lot of it, you know, I don't have like direct experience. I have some direct experience with it, mm-hmm. but I don't know if it applies to like the enterprise level. Um all that being said, um, number one, knowing what I know about your process, I think that there's a clear separation between what, what you just said, creating deals and closing deals to me are two completely different people and roles, right? Like you have Drake, I think you said is, is his yep. name, right? Yep. Uh, he's the SDR. He's, he's creating deals. He's, yeah, he's, he's putting, putting, putting new deals into, into the new opportunities into the pipeline. So that's yeah. that to me is more of what you might what people might think of as a traditional quote unquote salesperson. Like he's mm-hmm. out there activity in you know establishing new relationships, knocking on doors, right? Like yep. Um, the closer is probably in in my experience. Uh, looks a lot less like what you might think of as a salesperson, but just more like a really strong communicator, really strong project manager, point yeah, person, like consulting, make, project yeah, consultant yeah. makes things happen. I mean, in audience ops and even going back to restaurant engine, all, all of our sales ha- ha- were always inbound. So, so we didn't even really have like the SDR aggressive mm-hmm. salesperson th- thing happening on the front end. It was all 
inbound, like high intent. They requested sales consultation. And and this is how my approach to sales too, but also the people that I hired when I took myself out of sales was like, I basically just promoted like great account managers into a sale who, who just happened to be like awesome communicators. They were great at sales because they could take a new lead and explain to them how things work and help them get comfortable with working with us. Like that's, that's what I think of as an account executive. Again, it it might be very different in in the enterprise sales cadence, but like, I think it's just much more about like a a great listener, a great, like understanding their needs and connecting the dots for them and speaking their language and that, that sort of stuff. Um, there was something else I wanted to touch on that you, that you asked about. Yeah. The, maybe like the, that person and a, and a manager again. Oh yeah. Um, the, to me, the idea of hiring someone now to fill that role with the hope of that same person eventually becoming a manager. I, that's to me, that's like cart before the horse, like, yeah. Just get the just get the great account executive in because that solves the immediate problem, right? Like yeah, if, if, if like, the immediate problem is like take Jordan out of the sales role, just put a great person in. It, the the manager part is sort of the next problem for a little bit later. And you, yeah, you like solve, I can and that's, play, and that's a separate that's a separate solution, right? That that's probably a different type of person, different type of role, you know. Yeah, it's someone who has moved up. I just really worry about someone who has been managing, then jumping into the individual contributor role to the degree that we need them to. And I can, if we hire an AE, pure AE, then I can basically play a bad version of a sales leader, sales manager for them. Yeah. And show them what works and what we've been doing. And and then at the same time, be like, if you see problems, feel free because to fix. Don't don't just follow my lead. You know what? You know why I think it's important to go in sequence on that is because um you it's a super important role to this this AE role. Like yeah, they're they are extremely client-facing. Um it's gotta be someone that you really trust and really like for that role. If if the idea is to just hire the manager first, then it's like the, this brand new manager at Rally's job to hire the AE. You can't put that much trust right away with a with a totally new manager to hire this super important AE role. Like I think it's you're much better off like getting the perfect person in your opinion for the AE job, and then if they if down the road a year more or more they are like management material then then they go up to that or not like but but at least you've you've really solved that problem well and you can find a good manager later on you know yeah i feel a lot of pressure around getting it right and i've been much more hesitant to make an offer because of that because you know because you're not you're not hiring the person risky you're you're not hiring this person to to hire the right to, to have that person hire the right AE. Nope. You know, nope. they got they got to come in and close a million dollars in ARR in the next 12 months, period. Yeah. Yep. yep. I think there's, it might be a little bit different in sales, but I think that it's sort of similar where it's like a great developer is not necessarily going to be a great dev manager. And, and mm-hmm. many of them don't even want to be, you know, a great salesperson is probably great with relationships. They may or may not be good at managing other sales reps, you know? 
Yeah. yeah we've gone to the point where uh, I expect us to engage with a traditional recruiter that specializes in the AE roles for e-commerce outside of Shopify. So like, you know, there are people that do that. We've we've met with one or two and we're going to pay whatever 25% of their salary and mm-hmm. and just bite the bullet on that expense because it feels so risky to get it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Hmm. Um the only thing I have left here is the same question that I bring up a lot on this podcast and deal with on a day-to-day basis in my whole business life here. And that is I am a solo solo founder and striking a healthy balance between working on product and working on marketing and sales, which those two are two separate things too, but put them in one bucket for now compared to product. Right, right. That's the two sides of the company. Yeah. Marketing versus product as a solo founder, I think is especially uniquely difficult and, and also in the early stage, like I am like, have have you come up with anything that works for you in terms of like one week, this one week, that certain date? Yeah. I've, I've sort of been keeping my ears open on this question of like how other solos do it. And I've, you, you hear a lot of stuff like there's the, the maker manager schedule as, as it's known as, um, I don't know if even maker manager is the right term for it because I guess, I don't know. I just think of it as like product and and marketing. Mm -hmm. Um, I, it it hasn't really clicked for me in terms of like exactly one week on product and then exactly one week on marketing and then exactly one week on product. It's never that clean in my experience um, because it's usually because the product stuff takes way more than one week to make meaningful progress on. Um, In one one version of that for myself that I think has started to work a little bit is to just think of it, think about it in very clearly defined shippable projects on both marketing and product, right? So, so for example, like this past month, I, I defined two very, like two sales projects. One was startup cold outreach and that involved and, and like, what does done look like, right? It, it means like, like research and decide on the on the tools and the stack that we're going to use. I spent a day on that, and then uh, research and decide on how we're going to be sourcing prospect lists. I figured out a game plan for that, and then like set up the infrastructure, like get the get the email sending domains, like like set up set it all up so that it's ready to go. Start warming them up, all, all that. The, like and that's all. That's all to avoid doing one task here, then one task there yes, and going like between avoiding, the product and then the market. Mm-hmm. Avoiding unfinished projects, just sitting around. I, as okay. I, I'm always, that drives me nuts is having like too many open loops. Um, so that was like one project. And another one was like I talked about earlier, uh, setting up the de- the sales demo flow on the website and, and just clearly defining like what is done look like, you know, um, the form that has these steps and then it connects to the email and then it's done, right? Um, you know, those two taken together was probably a week of work, like two or three days on each of those. Uh, and I, and I couldn't work on product during those days. I I was shipping those marketing projects or sales projects. Um, and I mean, I have developers that I work with, so, so I have pre-filled their queue. So they're making progress on their work while I'm working on marketing. But, um, but you know, now 
I've shipped those. So now I'm back to product and, and I have a lot of important work to do there, both in like scoping and delegating some projects for my developers to work on. And like the payments feature is the big one. There's another important one, which gets back to, um, activation. And that's like improving the, how our coaches invite their clients. Uh, we have a flow for that. It's not great. We need to improve that so that our client, our coaches can easily get their clients on board. That's, that is definitely a key factor in getting them activated and adopting the product. So, um, got to get that kind of fixed up. Um, so I'm working on those things, uh, which is good, but like I, another thing that I struggle with and I have not figured out any solution to this is just the context switching. Um, mm other than just like taking a natural break in between like shifting from marketing projects to cause like, okay. Like the other day I, sh I finished that sales demo project, right? Like shipped it, it's live done. Right. Like I even finished it sort of like in the morning hours. So theoretically I should be able to like have lunch and then just start working on the first product. Right. Uh, uh, right. Project Context right which along with the environment shifting. It's yeah, there, there's definitely, um, a mental, I, I just find myself that I'm, mentally sluggish even though i have like a whole afternoon open like ready to start that next yeah uh, uh product project like i kind of need a whole night's sleep or or like a day off before i can get back into like technical product mode <laughs> you know coming mm -hmm. off of like sales mode um, yeah i sympathize but don't understand that that context switching in terms of like getting getting into development for me, the, the 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 most successful version of this I have is when I need to write an investor update. I I get out of the house and I go to a coffee shop. Yeah, I do because that that's one of these I was, things I was at Starbucks where Starbucks morning. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That's uh, I, so next week. So I you know I do this uh, like uh, legal pad system mm -hmm. of of to dos, and one is tasks and the other one is projects. Mm. So like I have a prod, these are the things that I want to make sure I get right, right? Like uh, start a new banking relationship to set up a line of credit is like a project, right? And then I have tasks. So I'm like, what do I want to knock out today? And then I have a little asterisk next to the ones that I'm like, do this by the end of today, right? Some of yeah. these other ones can spill over. And what I find is the projects, which is the more important list, I have trouble getting to because I'm focused on the tasks. And so next week I'm running this little experiment on like setting some coffee shop time so that I have time set aside to focus on projects instead of tasks. Yeah. And we'll, we'll see how that goes, but there's a great coffee shop near the house. So I'm going to, every time I go there, it makes me happy. So I'm like, okay, well, why okay. not just go there more? There you go. I love it. I mean, the, you know, like getting back to like the being solo is like, it's it's really difficult. What's what is actually really difficult about it is that it's just it's just never as clean as like this is marketing week, so or this is product week, so we can only work on that. What the reality of what happens is at any given day, I'll I'll, I'll get an email from a customer that says like, when are you shipping the payments feature? You know, and that and, and of course that email happens to come in during the week I'm working on sales projects. Yes, you know? so, yes. So I, I'm like, well, it's coming soon, but nobody's working on it right now because I'm working on sales. You know, <laughs> um, it, like uh -huh. that's constantly happening, and it's really, really uh, frustrating. And plus, I'm 
I'm also the only person doing these sales demos. So there goes my my afternoon today because I'm doing a bunch of those. And, right. If, that, if something know. gets set up, then that takes priority. And yeah, see ya. of course. Yep. I, I chuckle at the irony of how often my great plans and a two hour time block and I set that aside. And right when I get started, then like one of the kids comes home and my wife is like, I'm stuck. Can you help me give a ride to someone? I'm like, yep. <laughs> so it 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 just happens and maybe maybe the truth is i let it happen uh yeah. but it's so really it's really hard to manage time it's just I no mean, way around you know just to like not give the wrong impression like i i do have people that i delegate to um so like for example like ads is just an area that i'm just not set up not not suited to be running those myself I, i've got a great consultant who's working on that i've got a marketing assistant she handles a lot of like blog content and and podcast editing and stuff like that um so uh so there there are definitely things that happen that i can hand off but uh, but then i'm still like tracking their results and giving feedback on stuff and and you know giving them instructions or new tasks to work on uh which all adds to my inbox you know yes well, the good news is that we get another week next week to try it again. Try to get a li- little bit better. And kids are at school. Ah, yes. <laughs> cool. All Thanks right. for listening, everyone. Good to see Later, you. Later, folks. See you.